good morning everyone lovely to see you all um or those of you i can see so revelation 3 verses 7 to 13 the letter to the church in philadelphia and david's going to read that okay um and to the angel of the church in philadelphia right these things says he who is holy he who is true he who has the key of david he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens i know your works i see i have set before you an open door and no one can shut it for you have a little strength have kept my word and have not denied my name indeed i will make those of the synagogue of satan who say they are jews and are not a lie indeed i will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that i have loved you because you have kept my commands and to persevere i will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth behold i am coming quickly hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown he who overcomes I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him, uh, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you. So there are lots of different views and interpretations on the entire book of Revelation, but also on the letters. And one commentary says that uh, the letters quite parallel the seven parables of Matthew 13. Another view is that each letter represents an age, a, uh, a part of history, um, and what the church was doing at that time. Ephesus representing the first century, generally praiseworthy, but having lost its first love. By the time we get to Philadelphia, this would represent the 18th and 19th century, where there were mighty revivals and great missionary movements. Unfortunately, it likens the letter to Laodicea which might represent the church of the last days, lukewarm, liberal and apostate. So uh, that might be something to mull over and reflect on. But today we're looking at the letter to the church of Philadelphia. Philadelphia means love for the brethren. And it was founded by the citizens of Pergamum, who we met in Revelation 2.12. They were familiar with uh, Greek culture and language. And apart from Smyrna, it's the only letter where the church isn't uh, criticised. There's no fault found, although, of course, they had their own challenges. So verse seven, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. As we know, the word holy means set apart. 
In 1 Peter 1, 14, 16, the apostle instructs, as obedient children, do not confirm to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter's quoting Leviticus here. And that was where the uh, Israelites were instructed in the Old Testament to be set apart, wholly different from the pagan uh, nations and cultures around them. They were to be distinctive, not chameleon-like, just as we are called to be. Then we have the words back in Revelation, the words of him who is holy and true. Jesus is set apart, but he's also truthful, honest. There's nothing false about him. By the time John recorded the words of Revelation, uh, the the early church had been going some while. Uh, John's thought to be around 90 years old by this time. So the church had been going quite a while. And as you you know if you read any of Paul's letters you'll know that there were false teachings going on there was you know bit here bit there probably truth mixed in with heresy and the early church was was warned about this through and through and so it's pointed out here John's saying Jesus is holy and true and truthful and not false So anything you read, anything you hear, you have to measure against Jesus and his words. And the same is true today. We have to measure everything up against God's word, which is why if you hang around with me with me five minutes, I'll really encourage you to read the word every day and and just keep taking it in and taking it in and taking it in so that anything else you listen to, any preachers you listen to, anything you might look at on the internet or listen to on the radio or here at church, you can measure it up against that word and, and weigh it up and evaluate it. So Jesus is holy, set apart and truthful. And this verse also parallels with Isaiah 22, 22 in a prophecy about Jerusalem. And it points to one who has administrative power and ultimate control. The key represents Christ's authority to open the door to his future kingdom, which reminds me of the William Holman Hunt painting, The Light of the World, which references Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, but we'll be looking at that next week. But verse seven here means Jesus has control. Once he has opened the door, no one can close it. Salvation is assured. But once it's closed, no one can open it. Judgment is certain. As Jesus says back in John 14, verse six, which I think Uh, Rich mentioned a little while ago, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has the power to get people in the kingdom or to deny them access. 
Verse 8 goes on to say that the church has had an open door placed in front of them, opportunity. In 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, I do not apologise for all the extra strict scriptures you'll get in this morning. Uh, Paul talks about a great door for effective work being open for him. Paul was always travelling around and looking for opportunities to share, to preach, to have discussions with people out on the street, in the temple, wherever he was. In Acts 14, 27, we read of Paul and Barnabas arriving there. When they arrived in Antioch, they gathered to the church together and reported that God had gone through what God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And Paul wrote from Rome to the Colossians, asking them to pray that God would open a door for his and others' message about Jesus. And verse 8 also contains the words we find in each of these letters, uh, which says, I know... It's whatever I know. Here it's I know your deeds. Um, Or in one case, in one letter, it says, I know where you live, which always sounds a bit like a threat to me. Here is I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And the second part of that is yet or nevertheless or but. And here it reassures the readers of their little strength, which keeps them strong, faithful and bold. When Jesus called Peter out of the boat and onto the water in Matthew 14, Peter walked on water for a little bit, but then he panicked and sank. And Jesus said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And some people interpret that as Jesus saying, you only, you've only got a little bit of faith, you've sunk. But others see it as Jesus saying, that little bit of faith meant you could walk to me on the water. That small amount of faith meant Peter was able to get out of the boat. And later Jesus said that if we have faith as big or small as a mustard seed, We can do mighty things in his name, Matthew 17. Then in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul recalls the Lord's words to him when he asked for the thorn in his flesh to be taken away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, We affirm God's strength. When we're weak and we're honest about it, then God can use us with his power. If we think we've got things sorted and we can manage and everything's all right, we don't always glorify God. But when we allow him to work through us, when we're nervous and uncertain and just feeling we're not sure we can do this, then God really uses us powerfully. When we're tired or 
uncertain, that is when he can be glorified. That is when we allow him to take control and take over and speak through us and work through us and and do things that we wouldn't really have the nerve to do. To their credit, the Philadelphian church had kept the word. They're not denied or betrayed or denounced Christ. Again, a, a challenge to the early church who were persecuted, excluded, opposed, perhaps arrested, thrown in prison. People were martyred. But this church had not, de- not denounced Christ. They had, they'd kept on going. So the church in Philadelphia was strong in faith, but they may have felt looked down on by the Jews who were opposing them and who had opposed Jesus from the very start. Here they're referred to as the synagogue of Satan, self-styled, maybe hypocrites or only having a veneer of religiosity. And we can find this term also in Revelation 2 verse 9. One commentary says that these Jews were serving Satan's purposes when they met to meet and they weren't worshipping God. Just as Jesus called out the Pharisees and others who were loading people up with laws and rules and regulations, uh, but they weren't heartfelt believers So he says here, the church at Philadelphia will be shown to be true believers and all pretenders will be humbled and will have to acknowledge that those those who are truly saved, whether they be Gentiles, Samaritans or others who have belittled the true believers. Verse 10 then says that because of their patient endurance, that they will be kept from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on earth. This might refer to the tribulation we find in chapters 6 to 19, or to a time of tribulation for the church of true believers. The phrase, those who live on earth, or those who dwell on the earth, can mean those who make this earth their home, their priority. Psalm 17, 14 says, O Lord, by your hand save me from such men, from men of this world whose reward is in this life. We're called to see ourselves as aliens and strangers on earth, as as Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 2, passing through on our way to our eternal home so that stuff here doesn't become an all-consuming priority. This is temporary. This is not going to last. And... It's a difficult concept. It's one that I'm trying to adopt more and more. Every now and again, I'm trying to get rid of a bit more stuff, physical stuff that I've accumulated and keep reminding myself that it doesn't matter. It it doesn't, it's not worth anything. 
in Hebrews 11, which is all about faith and, and it's full of examples of men and women of great faith throughout the centuries. Verses 13, 16 say, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they were they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I'd encourage you to read those verses just quietly in your own time. Hebrews 11, 13, 16. If we're in a, a country that's not our own, perhaps we're on holiday and we're having a marvellous time. Perhaps it's time we we feel like going back home. We we throw things back in the suitcase and we, we want to go back home. But this paints a picture of something very different of looking forward to a home that is is more glorious, more wonderful, however wonderful and welcoming our own home is. God has prepared a city for those who truly believe, who don't call this place their home. I work with people from all different places. There's all different accents in the, uh, in the place where I work. I wonder when people listen to us, see us, watch us, do they see something different about us? Have we got a slightly different way of speaking a slightly different attitude or way about us because we belong to a different kingdom. More encouragement in verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The church at Thyatira, which Jody spoke about, were also told Hold on to what you have until I come in Revelation 2, verse 25. And this echoes some of Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Persevere, endure, hold on. Hold on tight. Don't let go of your faith, hope of Jesus. When we say hold on, we, we're often talking um, of a short pause Hold on, hang on, hang on a minute. Have you got everything you need? Hold on. Whoa, before we finish this off, hold on. Just stop, think. And it's a, it's a temporary thing. And here it, it indicates something much more long term. But is it? If we're holding on in this life, this life 
is minuscule compared to eternity. Holding on now might be for years and years and years, but it's still a tiny amount of time compared with eternity. We can all face times when we want to give up in life. We want to give up our job. We want to give up our faith, maybe. Maybe even a marriage or a friendship or something else. We think this is, I just, I can't carry on. Sometimes it's good to walk away from something. But a lot of time when we pray about it, think about it, we're told and we should hold on, keep going. There are times when if we're outspoken as a Christian, that makes life difficult for us. Or if we don't go along with things because we know that goes against everything we believe, it can be very different, difficult for us. But perseverance and endurance are not mentioned for nothing. The early church certainly needed it, and at times we need it too. Then in verse 12, we're given a promise or a promise is given to the church at Philadelphia. To those who do hold on, the overcomer will be made a pillar in the temple, which paints a picture of of strength and permanence in 1 Peter verse 2 verse 5 believers are described as being like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 9 and 16 and 17 we read for we are God's fellow workers you are God's field God's building Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, that's set apart, holy, and you are that temple. Verse 12 goes on, never again will he leave it, indicating security no more uncertainty. And he or she will be given a new name. They will be marked and have a new identity. We belong to Jesus. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 talks about us being marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which guarantees our inheritance. We're adopted We've got a new family, a new identity, a new name, promises. All these things await those who hold on, who stand firm, who endure, who believe. Then the new Jerusalem mentioned hints at Revelation 21, where there is a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And these verses might well draw you into reading the rest of Revelation if you haven't already read it and about what it says about the end times. Then the letter concludes with verse 13. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The world is very loud. It's very distracting. It can be very disruptive. But we are called to listen. Listen to sometimes the small, still, quiet word of God. Be alert to the Holy Spirit not be distracted, not be impressed by shiny things, but just hold fast to God's word and let him be our focus. Let him be in the foreground and everything else fade into the background. Turn him up to 11 and everything else down to one or two. So amidst all that, we're called to hold on and be open and to listen to how God is directing us. As I close, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, out your words tells us to hold on, to endure, to be patient, to know the truth, to seek the truth, and then to speak the truth. Lord, I just pray that day by day we will let your word sink into us, become part of us, that your Holy Spirit would prompt us to speak your word to others, to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.